Wow, great to be with you, Bay City. Fantastic to be here. How many of you know that God can do all things? Amen. God is an awesome God, and I'm so glad to be here with you, so glad to be able to worship in freedom. <laughs> you know, not everyone has freedom, you know. Uh, the, uh, the place that I live in is not free. It is a closed nation. And so when I come out of that and come into New Zealand, and just I can feel it. I can sense the weights of control coming, uh, coming off me, and I sense the freedom that we have here. We live in a beautiful place, New Zealand. Well, you live in a beautiful place. I don't live in a beautiful place. You live in a beautiful place. When I... Uh, when I get off the plane in Auckland and I see the green and the, the blue of the sea, I want to kiss the ground because this is a beautiful place. So uh, we can take it for granted. But uh, you know what? It's great to be here and uh, great to be amongst friends and great to be in a place of love. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that... Uh, is so so awesome is just being with you all and sensing the love that you have and uh, just seeing your beautiful faces again. I tell you, it makes my heart happy. <laughs> all right, so it's great to breathe fresh air, I tell you. Do you know that fresh air is, is something good? Um, again, where, uh, uh, where I live, when I ride on my motorbike out through the city, if I don't have uh, glasses on, my eyes feel like they're sandblasted. And uh, just because of the grit and the, and the pollution in the air, and, uh, and I have to wear a face mask because if, if I don't, all that grit, that sandblasting in my eyes goes into my lungs. And uh, so anyway, be glad that you live in New Zealand. Be happy about it and celebrate it every day. And the girls, uh, there's a slide up there with the, the, uh, the photo of uh, Kalinda and the girls. So we just have that. The girls... Send their, Kalinda and the girls, send their greeting, and uh, they would love to be here with you, but it's winter, and it's in the middle of the school term, so they will come next year and uh, see you all next year, which would be great. They're all doing really, really, really well, and uh, yeah, so uh, they'll be looking forward to seeing you next year. Um, just a, another one here, so you can see, get a bit of a picture of where we live. This is the view outside my window. So looking outside my apartment, that's the big, dirty, nasty city that I live in. And uh, just so that you're not under any illusions of the, of the type of place that, that I live, recently, uh, just a, a short while before I, uh, before I came over, there was a protest in the city. And uh, the protest was about a, a big petrochemical plant that was um, being opened, and it's a, a, a mass polluter. And uh, so, yeah, there was a bunch of people who came out on the street to protest and say, we don't want that. After that protest, within a day of that, there was a mass text SMS sent out to everyone in the city, including me, saying, you've had your protest, we've heard you, we would hate for you to be hurt if you came out on the street again. That went to me as well, you know. That went to everyone in the city. So make no illusions of the, of the kind of place that I live in. Uh, people, are, are, uh, people suffer for their faith. Uh, people die uh, for what they believe. And, uh, and normal people who just say, we don't want a big, stinking, polluting factory filling our air up with, uh, with dirt and muck and, uh, and toxins, you know, they're threatened. And said, we'd hate for you. It's good that they care about their citizens, isn't it? We'd, we'd, <laughs> we'd hate for you to be hurt if you came out on the street again. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, so that weighs on us. What we do is, is dangerous and illegal. And uh, although there's a, a growing tolerance for the Christian church, it's also... There's places and pockets where, where persecution is, is very real. So I work with the underground church, raising up, uh, raising up leaders and pastors. And I think there's another slide there, thanks. Let me switch over that. Oh, okay, back, 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 back. Back again, back again. 
Back again. <laughs> okay, one more. Still one more back. All right. Okay, so, you know, this is what drives us. People say, Doug, what do you do? And why do you do that? Why is it so important? Why are, why are missions so important? Why is it important that we send someone to a foreign nation to preach about Jesus Christ? Very simply because Jesus came to set prisoners free. Now in New Zealand, we live as free people. Basically, we're free. There's still bondages of sin and that sort of thing that people must be set free from. But in this place that I live, people are in a bondage. They don't know what's right or what's wrong. How many of you here know that it's wrong to sell little girls into brothels to work as sex slaves? Does everyone know that? Let me ask you, how do you know that? How do you know that that's wrong? And you might say, well, Doug, I'm a good person. Yeah, you are. You're wonderful people. But that's not how you know. You might say, well, it's, it's because I'm a Christian. Well, most people in New Zealand know that that uh, very thing is wrong. Where I live, people think that's smart business. People think that that's a good way to make a living. People have no conscience of that. So let me ask again, how do you know? The only reason you know is because you've been impacted by the kingdom of God. People who have not been impacted by the kingdom of God do not know what's right or what's wrong. They have no idea, no idea. Their only compass, their only moral sense of what's right and what's wrong is how they can get ahead in life. But Jesus came to set those captives free. Jesus came to set every one of those at liberty, at freedom. And it happens through the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Is there an amen there somewhere? Amen. amen. All right, let's start. flick over to the next slide, thanks. Okay, so this is what drives me, is that they won't know what's right or what's wrong unless there is someone to preach to them, someone to tell them the truth of Jesus Christ, someone to tell them about the kingdom of God. That's what drives me. So I tell you, I'll train pastors and leaders who will fearlessly preach the kingdom of God, who will stand up in that community and say, Jesus Christ has come to set the captives free. It's no longer okay for us to sell little girls into brothels. It's no longer okay for us to take bribes. It's no longer okay for us to beat up on poor people just because they're poor and we can. Because outside the kingdom of God, you don't know any of those things. The human mind has no ability to understand those things outside the impact of the gospel of the kingdom. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Yeah? So that's what drives me. This photo here, it's been photoshopped a lot, but basically that's a girl in a brothel, uh, preparing before the brothel, actually. She's just getting the, the, uh, her makeup right. She'd be in her early 20s, and she's probably been prostituted for around six years since her early teens. And she doesn't do that by choice. She does it because she has to. She does it because she has no choice. And unless the kingdom of God impacts the nation that I live in, those kinds of abuses and many others continue to happen. Let's have a look at the next, next slide, thanks. You see, outside the kingdom of God, a human life is reduced to what you can sell them for. So up here is a sign outside a brothel of women from various nations with values attached to them. Now, the owner of that, she just thinks she's a smart business person. The mafia who bring those girls from Russia, from mainland China, from Hong Kong, from Malaysia, from Thailand, they just think they're clever. They just think that they're getting ahead. This is why we preach. This is 
why it's so important what we do here. This is why what you do here is important. Don't ever lose sight of that. The fact that New Zealand is a good place to live is not because New, Zealand are, New Zealanders are good people. It's because New Zealand has been impacted by the gospel of, of the kingdom. And we should never forget that. Because if we forget that, that's what we end up with here in this nation. Let's have a look at another reason why we do what we do. Because to be honest, the reason, you know, we live in a hard place. Day to day, someone asks me, Doug, do you speak English at all? And I say, only to my family, every, everywhere else. Everywhere else. I speak Chinese. I learn Chinese. Our Chinese language is hard to learn. Really hard to learn. I live in isolation. We live in isolation. I can go for, for weeks without seeing another white face other than we gather together as an, as an international community. It's isolated. It's full of pollution and inhumanity. But up here, this is why we do what we do. This is why we live where we live. This shot here is in a brothel. Those girls there, they are in their, at the most, mid-teens. At the most in their mid-teens. And they were sold into that. They don't have any choice. So it's Kalinda there reaching out to them and just sharing with them the love of God and saying, you know what, if you want, I can help you get out of here. Take another look at the next slide so you can have a close-up of one of these girls. That's one of them. Now that's someone's daughter. That's someone's granddaughter. That's probably someone's sister. And she's all of about maybe 12 or 13 years old. And she's forced to work as a prostitute. She doesn't have any choice on that. That's why we do what we do. For girls like that and a thousand, hundreds of thousands of other abuses that happen in a nation that doesn't know God. Let's take another look, another slide. This girl here, and she was coming in from the countryside, had no idea what was in, for, in store for her. She thought she was getting a job in a restaurant. Kalinda's there telling her, you're not getting a job in a restaurant, sweetheart. You're in big trouble. And if you want to get out, you better, you better come with me now. But you know what? No one trusts anyone, so why would she trust, why would she trust uh, uh, some strange white woman? And take a look at what this girl looks like just six weeks later. This is a month, six weeks later. So that what was a little innocent girl from the countryside is now forced into prostitution. That's why we do what we do. Let's take another look at another one here. You know, outside the gospel of the kingdom, life is brutally hard for a large percentage of the world population. Brutally hard. There's an old lady lugging up a, uh, a, a load of, of uh, firewood that I doubt that I could carry. She looks as old as the hills. <laughs> I don't know whether she's probably only about 60, but she looks like she's about 90. Um, and she's lived all her life not knowing about Jesus Christ. People like that need to be reached. And so we send our students out from the Bible school to reach and to preach to people like that. And in one place, uh, one, of our, uh, one of our groups of students went out and they met people just like this one here. 
And in that village that she was, she was forbidden. The Christianity was forbidden. People who converted to Christ were thrown out of the village. And an old lady came up to our group of students. There was only three of them. And, uh, and said, I've heard rumors of the God that you're talking about. And I know he's written a book. There is a book about him. Do you have that book? I'll pay you for that book. Because I've longed to know the truth about this God that you're talking about for so long. And our student said, we can give you that book, no problem. And she was just so, she wept to receive something that we would just consider, you know, just consider, this is life, you know, it's, every one of us has a Bible. Everyone have a Bible here? Yeah, okay. But she wept just to know that she had a copy of the book of the God that she had heard rumors of, the God that loved her so much, that sent his son to die for her. So that's about reaching people. Turn over and have a look at the next slide along. This is a group of prostitutes being reached out to. It's a, a, uh, a Chinese nurse that uh, works with Kalinda, and she's just reaching out to these girls as they uh, are, are on their way to a brothel for a night and just saying, you know what, you don't have to do this. If you want, you can get out. It's about reaching people like that. Let's take a look at another slide. And that's what rescued looks like. Hard to imagine on the relief of finding a safe place, possibly for the first time ever in their lives. That's what rescued looks like. It's a woman who was sold into prostitution finds freedom. Let's take a look at another one. That's what rescued looks like. A little girl who would have been aborted. And as she's growing up in the, in the shelter with a safe place to live, her mum taking care of her. Her mum also came, her mum came out of prostitution and was going to abort her because she was afraid. Afraid of who would take care of her child, how she would take care of her. Well, that little girl's alive, alive. You guys are partners in this, okay? You're partners in it. This is, this is your work as well, okay? So know that when I'm standing here and showing you these things, you're with me in it. You're with Kalinda in it. That's what rescued looks like. That's a life saved. Let's have a look at another one. That's a life saved. Well, that's a lease. So <laughs> my, my uh, middle daughter plus a little girl who was being brought up in a brothel. You can see the joy on her face. That's rescued. Take a look at another one. That's rescued. That man there was a trader, a trafficker. That man there is responsible, was responsible for trafficking literally thousands of of little girls into brothels, thousands. When Kalinda and Lisa, Lisa is uh, Kalinda's co-worker, colleague, um, when Kalinda and Lisa first met that man, he was literally, him and his gang were literally dragging a, little, a young woman into a brothel. And uh, uh, she shared about that last time, I don't know if you remember, but uh, she shared about that first meeting with that guy. Well, they continued to work with that guy over a period of a year, while he was still selling little girls into brothels and doing despicable things that you and I wouldn't even imagine, could not imagine. But every week, they would have dinner with him before they went out on the street and just talk with him, share with him. Well, that man disappeared for a month. They didn't know what happened to him. And they get a phone call just out of the blue saying, I can't stand it. I need to see you too. Will you come and meet with me? So they met with him and he said, I've got so much turmoil in my life. There is no peace. Well, of course there's no peace because he sells little girls into brothels, into, into slavery. He said, the only time I ever have any peace is when I'm around you two hearing what you have to say. That's the only time I have peace. What do I need to do? And so right there, 
in a restaurant, this slave trader, modern-day slave trader, gave his heart to Jesus Christ with tears running down his face. That photo is taken just a short time after that. That man is no longer doing that anymore. He's turned away from that. He's got a real job. And he's attending a church and going on for God. You guys are partners in that. That's part of it. It's an extension of this house. Be excited about that. Is someone happy about that? Come on. (laughs) Now, I got beaten up by a humanist about sharing that story in another church. I got flogged by telling that story. The humanist was uh, said, you know what? That person should be in prison. That person should be in jail. They should pay for what they've done. I said, theoretically, yes. But actually, the police don't care. They couldn't care less. In fact, they've lost an income stream. That's sad. Because in, in that society, that doesn't, doesn't matter. The other part of it is, we sing a song now called Amazing Grace. How many of you know this song, the hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that was written by John Newton? John Newton was a slave trader. He was responsible for trafficking thousands of black Africans from Africa into Britain. He got saved and wrote a song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saves a wretch like me. That man influenced another man called William Wilberforce, who campaigned for 40 years to see the slave trade broken in Europe and in Britain. Who knows what will happen to that man? But I tell you, I'm rejoicing. I'm glad that man is a life set free and rescued from slave trading. He's rescued. Let's have a look at what restored looks like. This is what restored looks like. That's a girl who was in prostitution. She's set free. She's been ministered to, encouraged. And you can see on that face, that's restored. That's why we do what we do. Now, let me tell you this morning, we have some outstanding successes, and I can tell you miracles of amazing things that have happened. And let me tell you, I'll share... I'll share a story with you that will, will challenge you. So Kalinda and Lisa discovered recently that there was a warehouse of girls that had been trafficked. And when I say a warehouse, I mean it's a warehouse of girls trafficked from Vietnam into the nation that I live in. They're kept in conditions that if anyone kept a pig in, in New Zealand, they'd be put in prison. It, it couldn't be done. So they work to reach out to these girls. These girls are under lock and key. You can't get anywhere near uh, inside that, uh, that, uh, that warehouse. But the girls are brought in and out of it to brothels. So they found, by a word of knowledge, they found one of the brothels that this, one of these uh, girls was working in. Just so happens that this girl had been there for five years. This Vietnamese girl had been there for five years. So her Chinese was about as good as as Kalinda's. And uh, so they could communicate. So, you know, so she begins to, Kalinda and Lisa begin to build a relationship with her. They manage to get a very simple gospel message to these girls in Vietnamese, very simply saying, There is a most high God, and he loves you. He sees what's happening to you, and it breaks his heart. His name is Jesus, and if if you will call on him, he will save you. You see, there's no human answer for, for those girls. It takes a supernatural, something supernatural to happen to set them free. So anyway, they got that basic message to these girls, A week later, Kalinda goes into that same area, and this girl is just jumping out of her skin. She is 
just bursting. She grabs hold of Kalinda's hand and says, I have to tell you, I have to tell you what happened. One of our little girls, oh, little girls. So if she's saying little girl, she is barely a teenager, maybe 12, maybe 13. One of our little girls was so sick. She was just crying in pain. We could not do anything for her. We're not allowed to see doctors. We don't have any medical help. She's crying in pain, and we're standing there helpless. And then one of the girls remembers the piece of paper that you gave us. So we called on the name of Jesus. Now remember, these, are, these girls come from a Buddhist background. The first, that's all they've heard of, call on the name of Jesus and he will save you. We called on the name of Jesus. And immediately, that little girl was set free. She was healed. <laughs> Now that's a, you know, that's a God stepping into an area and stepping into a place and doing something supernatural that man cannot do. But in my heart, I still know, we still know that there are 200 girls in captivity. They need the power of God to set them free. How do we continue in that? How do we continue working in that and staying alive in that? knowing that these things happen. Well, let me tell you something that I've learned. If you've got your Bible with you this morning, turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. It's up on the screen too, thanks. And it says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So these are the great three Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love. Now we get love. We understand love. We know how important love is. Love, God is love. We know the value of that. We know the value of faith. By faith, all things are possible. But what about hope? Hope kind of seems like the runt of the litter. Hope kind of seems the place that you retreat to when your love and your faith isn't high enough. But I've learned something about hope that keeps me going, keeps Kalinda going. Because what I've discovered is that if you look further up in that chapter, you'll find that love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things. Hope is a vital ingredient to our love. Without hope, love is dysfunctional. Love doesn't work. In Hebrews 11, we see that faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. Without hope, Our faith is dysfunctional. But often when we talk about faith, we're just like, oh, what? It's just kind of weak. Like, we use it in our everyday language. I hope it will be sunny tomorrow. (laughs) Who's hoping that it's going to be sunny tomorrow? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I said to Kalinda, I've got a confession. I said to Kalinda about three or four weeks ago before I came over, I said, you know what I miss? about living in a high-rise apartment. I miss hearing the sound of the rain on the roof. (laughs) Well, Jesus, I'm over that five days now. (laughs) Already five days ago, I'm over it. (laughs) I I hope where I am, I hope that I will get a seat on a bus because otherwise... I'm going to spend the next hour and a half standing like this with some poor Chinese person stuck under my armpit. (laughs) I hope I can get a taxi that will take me to where I'm going without going via Vietnam. (laughs) Because in everyday language, we say hope is like, 
It's a desire, it communicates a desire, a wish, but it may not actually take place. But biblical hope is something different. Hope is a confident expectation of good for the future. It's a confident expectation in the goodness of God. And that's what keeps us going where we are. Even though we don't see the entirety of what we want to see, right now, we're confident that it will happen because hope is alive in us. So what is the role of hope in your life? Let's have a look at the next slide. Hope is a reservoir for our souls. In the Old Testament, there's a great word picture. The word for hope also means reservoir, a catchment of water, a place that sustains life through dry seasons, through drought. Let me ask you this morning, is there a drought that you're going through? Is there a dry season where you're going through? Hope is that reservoir of God's goodness and optimism for the future that sustains life through that drought. But there are things that drain the hope from our lives. Things like adverse circumstances, a long period of intense difficulty, financial problems, relationship problems, pressures, problems with families or associates, all those things can drain hope from our lives. Storms. In Acts 27, Paul talks about a storm that he was caught in that drained him of hope so that the whole ship that he was with had lost all hope of their lives. Delayed answer for prayer, of, to prayer, our fulfillment of a desire in our life. That can cause us to lose hope. In the book of Proverbs, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Maybe you're living with a hope that has been deferred, a prayer that you've prayed for and asked for, and the answer is delayed. That drains hope from our lives. Living with an impossible situation for which there is no answer other than a miracle of God. That drains hope from our lives. That situation of that warehouse, there is no answer other than something supernatural from God. In Ezekiel 37, the vision of the dry bones. Ezekiel, the prophet, sees the vision. And in that vision, Israel cries out and says, Our bones are dried up. We're dead. All hope is lost. These things drain the reservoir of hope in our lives and cause our faith and love to become dysfunctional. So we've got to know, how do we fill that up? Like how, do we, how do we put water into that reservoir? How do I put water into this reservoir? We put water into that reservoir by expecting to see God's goodness manifest in this life. If you can flick that to the next screen, thanks. We fill up the reservoir of hope in our lives by expecting to see God's goodness manifest in this life. And in this Psalm 27, verses 13 to 14, David says, I believe, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. Whereabouts? In eternity? Come on, someone speak to me this morning. In the land of the living. Of course we expect goodness in eternity. But David's saying, I expect goodness. I expect to see God's goodness here right now in the land of the living. That should make us happy because that's an expectation of hope right there. And he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. In another translation of that passage, David says, I would have despaired 
I would have despaired. I would have lost hope unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Unless you expect the goodness of God in this life, despair will come around you, the opposite of hope. Hope says, I believe in God's goodness in this life. Now, David had lots of reasons to believe that happiness was reserved for heaven. Of all people, David could have been excused for thinking that. He was rejected by his own mother and father. He was rejected by his brothers. He was anointed as king, yet forced to run through the wilderness, hunted down by a madman for over 10 years. Yet this was a stance, the position that David took. I believe I shall see, I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Why don't you tell the person next to you, I am confident I will see God's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. <laughs> You see, there is a religious thinking that says everything good is stirred up, stored up for eternity. But hope says, I believe that I will see God's goodness in the land of the living. Now, there's a, a, a stinking phrase that says, God don't want you happy. He just wants you holy. <laughs> Give me a break. Of course, God wants you holy, but he also wants you happy. He wants you filled with joy. All right, let's have a look. What else do we need to do to fill up the reservoir of hope in our lives? We need to develop a lifestyle of thirsting after the Holy Spirit. We need to go to the source of hope and drink from it. In Romans chapter 15 and 13, it says, May the God of hope, our God is a God of hope. He is a God of a positive future. He is a God of transformation. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In the Amplified Translation, it says that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound and overflowing, bubbling over with hope. Where does it come from? It comes from the Spirit of God. And Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. Have you ever been thirsty? Really thirsty? Uh, I remember a time when I was preaching in the Philippines, and I didn't take enough water with me. And by the time I'd finished preaching and finished praying for everyone, my tongue was sticking to the roof of, its, of, of my mouth. And I went outside, and there outside there was a pond of water with a water buffalo swimming around in it, having a good old time. <laughs> and I tell you, I was so thirsty, that water looked good. <laughs> but how many of you know that you drink from the buffalo hole it might satisfy your thirst for a little while, but it's going to make you sick for a long, long time. <laughs> you see, thirst is something that, we're, that is placed within us. Spiritual thirst also. Yet we can drink from another source, like busyness, like religion, like lukewarmness. We can drink from pools of bitterness. We can drink from pools of disappointment. And they'll quench our thirst for a time, but they'll make us sick for a long, long time. What are you thirsty for today? And what hole are you drinking from? If you're thirsty this morning, Jesus has got pure water for you. It's the water of the Holy Spirit. 
And we can drink of that and receive that. How else do we build hope and store up that reservoir in our lives? We store up hope in our lives by remembering that God makes dead things live. God makes dead things live. Now I want you to turn in your Bible or look at the screen up here, wherever you like, to a passage in 2 Corinthians, first, um, chapter 1, verses 8 through to 10. Look at the first two verses to start with. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. This is the Apostle Paul. And he's speaking of a time, if you look at this, in this passage, he's speaking of a time of affliction, of trouble, of anguish, of distress, that he faced. He says, we were so utterly burdened, so utterly weighed down, beyond our strength, crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired, gave up hope on life. So in describing this, the Apostle Paul talks a time of hopelessness and despair. Now I want you to remember, this is, this is the Apostle Paul the missionary, the church planter, the same Paul who preached the gospel of the kingdom, the same Paul who stood before kings and queens, the same Paul who cast out demons and healed the sick and raised the dead. And he talks of a time where he lost hope. You see, even people who you don't suspect have times when their reserves of hope run low. Even the strongest of us has times like that. But you see, Paul finds a meaning in the crisis. It was so that to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul, what are you talking about? You already believed in the resurrection. You already believed that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. What are you talking about? Paul's talking about that in the crisis... He went from up here, right down into here. And in crisis, if we will allow what's up here to travel down here by believing in the God who raises the dead, our hope will be restored. The result for Paul was a resurrection of his hope. So in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, he says, God who delivered us from such deadly peril, he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. How many of you are alive this morning? Lift up your hand if you're alive. Do you know why you're alive? God has delivered you in the past. He's delivering you in the presence, in the present, and he will deliver you again. He will deliver us again. Can I have the band, please? I'm just going to call this, uh, call this in now. I'm going to tell you a story here, and this is going to, this is going to, let me tell you the story and let the story do its work. Let the testimony do its work. A few hundred kilometers beyond our city, there is a, a tribe of people, a group of people who live in the mountains. They're called Asi people. They have their own customs. They have their own languages. They have their own language distinct from the other language around. And these people have 
centuries, thousands of years of worshiping devils and evil spirits. They don't worship them because they love them. They worship them because they're afraid of them. And in amongst these people, they have just began to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have no written language. So all they have are the stories of the Bible. And in that place, in that place, there is an embryonic church, a little church. And they gather and they worship and they reach out. One young woman that they were reaching out to, they described her as being the poorest family in the village. The poorest. Now they all live in mud huts. They barely have, they have one set of clothes, barely have enough food to feed themselves. So poor stretches our understanding of what that means. One young woman that they were reaching out to, they had shared with her the gospel. This woman had one goat, one goat. And her neighbor came to her and said, your goat has just been gored to death by the water buffalo down in the valley. You better go get its meat before someone steals the meat from it. So this woman, this young woman, who'd only heard the very, very, very little bit of the Gospels in stories, she went down and found her hope dead on the ground, just as she said. As, as her neighbor had said, this young woman looked up to heaven and said, my friends, tell me that you're the God who makes dead things live. I need this goat. That goat jumped up that, and trotted off up the road. <laughs> Our God is a God of hope-based city. And He's doing great things on the earth. He does impossible things. Will you fill up the reservoir of hope in your life? Say, Doug, I need an injection. I need an infusion of that hope. How many of you need some hope this morning? How many of you need some hope in your life and say, Doug, I need that reservoir topped up. Why don't we all stand then? Let's ask Jesus, come. Come and fill this place, Lord God. Come and fill this place, Lord God. Help us to remember, Jesus, that you make dead things live. Whatever's dead in my life, make it live, Lord, because I believe that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living, in this life, I believe that I will see it. Do you believe that you will see it today? Come on, give the Lord a shout and a clap today. Say, Jesus, I don't want to drink from the buffalo hole of doubt and despair or disappointment. I want to drink from the flow that comes from heaven from the Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, each one of us. Just lift up your hands right now. Just begin to call out for the Spirit of God. Jesus, I'm thirsty for you. Come and fill me. Fill me, fill me today, Lord God. Fill each and every one of us here. Lord God, with the Holy Spirit, God of hope, come and fill us. God of hope, come and fill us. Overflow in our lives. Overflow in our lives. Overflow in our lives, Jesus. Oh God, that we would bubble and overflow with your hope wherever we go, Lord God. Jesus. So Father, we release your anointing right now in this place. Father, for resurrection hope, resurrection life. If you can make dead goats live for poor people, you can bring life into my relationships. 
You can bring life into my business. You can bring life wherever there is death. So Jesus, we receive that now. Hallelujah. There's one more thing I want to ask this morning. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you're living without hope. There is no hope for you. But Jesus Christ, He's alive today. And He will give you life. He will give you hope. Don't leave this place today without receiving Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here who would like to receive Jesus Christ today? Say, I want that hope that you're talking about there. Is there anyone here today who would say, I want to receive that hope that you're talking about? Is there anyone here today who would like that? Just lift up your hand. There's one here. Is there anyone else here who would like to receive that hope that you're talking about? another one here. Is anyone else here who would say, I want to receive that hope that you're talking about, Doug, that I would see the goodness of God in this land of the living. Is there anyone else? All right, I want to I want to pray for you this morning. I want to introduce you to the God of hope. So I want you, would you come forward and let me pray for you. Can I pray for you, man? Can I pray for you? If you've got a friend with you who would come with you, Come on forward. Let's give them a clap as they come forward. Come on, let's give them a clap. He's the God of hope. Okay, Dennis in nature, you're doing an awesome thing today. What's happening is supernatural. I tell you, God loves you so much. He loves you more than you can even imagine. And He's going to bring hope into your life that you you won't be be able to even understand the incredible things that He's going to do in your life. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And we're all going to pray. I want you to pray with me. I'll give you the words. Those are words that are just going to invite Jesus Christ into your life. Would you pray with me now? People, let's all pray. Father, we come to you today. We thank you that you love us. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us all of our sins. And come into our lives right now. I thank you that you forgive me. I thank you that you adopted me into your family. You make me your child. So I receive your love right now. In Jesus' name. Everyone give him a big clap. Done.